Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with designer Anifa Muemba, the founder of fashion label Hanifa. The brand has seen a huge spike in attention and sales, too, since May after hosting the first fashion show on Instagram Live that used 3D models. I wanted to ask Anifa about how she's met new demand and how she plans to build on that viral moment. Welcome, Anifa. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you. Oh, my gosh. Tell me before we dig in. (laughs) I got to hear about the show in particular. Can you paint the picture for those who have not yet seen it? I know it's still on IGTV and we can watch. Yeah, you could definitely watch it on IGTV. Um, So it's basically a show of me. Well, it starts out with me kind of showing um, some scenes and imagery and videos of Congo because it is inspired of Congo um, by Congo and where I'm from. And then it's like a documentary, a mini documentary with me just kind of sharing my story um, and sharing and shedding light on a crisis that's going on back home. And then it leads into the... 3D virtual fashion show um, with like a completely black scene and all you see is clothing moving and walking on the runway. Yes. How long did it take to get that fashion show in place? Uh, 3D models, something that's never been done. Was this a a long process, a year in the making? Um, So we've been, so we've been already um, utilizing the 3D technology for some time. So I actually incorporate that into my design process when I'm coming up with my design. So I actually started designing this collection uh, um, November of last last year. My plan was to show during Fashion Week this year during the fall. Um, and uh, for obvious reasons, we had to change our plans and pivot. Um, so with everything happening in the world with the pandemic, I felt that it was the right time to pretty much do something virtually because everyone is home, everyone's on their phones, and this will be a great way to like kind of get everyone's attention because we're all kind of doing the same thing and we're all kind of on the same platform. So um, I felt like it was the right time to have a digital fashion show and um, nerve wracking, a lot of work, but uh, we were able to get it done. We started actually putting the show together in March of this year. Okay. Um, we had a really tight de- uh, timeline, deadlines, uh, but we were able to get it done. Um, we were working up until the very last second before showtime. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know that you yeah. now have 300,000 Instagram followers. At the time, mm-hmm. what was your following? How did you get the word out? It went viral, but what were you expecting at the time? Um, I think we had maybe, uh, I want to say like 150. 6,000 followers. Oh, great. Um, Before the show, we were kind of just like hinting, um, we're going to be doing a 3D show, uh, a virtual show. Um, And prior to the show, I was already doing like um, editorials and like photo shoots with like a 3D avatar that I created. And people were thinking, I guess... We, well, we kind of asked people, like, what are you what are you expecting from the show? And I don't know. I think if I was in, you know, someone else's shoes, I would be like, I don't know what I'm expecting. I just know you're probably going to use your 3D model or whatever. But, yeah, we had, like, uh, many videos. We had, like, posts. We were tweeting. Just trying to get the word out because, you know, there's no other way to do it with just kind of being home and um, not really able, not really being able to 
leave and, you know, do other things um, in terms of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we got the word out. Yes. Was, was this the first time that you used a fashion show, a fashion moment to really shed light on, on an issue? Um, yeah. That you, d- you thought de- was deserving. That was, that is deserving of detention of attention. Um, and d- it was just, I mean, it's great that it just so happened that when this went viral, that you were also shedding light on something. Is this the first time that you've done that? Yeah, this is actually the first time. Um, I think um, this moment was so important to me because this was, one, it was very personal. Um, And it's the first time I kind of connected like myself, um, where I'm from, um, my heritage, my roots, my family, into like my work. Um, So, but yeah, this was definitely like the very first time that I've ever done that. Yes. Well, you started a trend. <laughs> I know others have since um, attempted the 3D fashion show, um, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Uh, yeah. Will, yeah. We won't talk about the the bad thing that happened. <laughs> we can if you want. So Prada also did a fashion show um, that was deemed the first, which was not. And it did get some attention. Um, I mean, is it just how do you look at it? Is it just you do see it as you started a trend? I mean, being recognized as the first, is that important to you, I guess? Um. I don't want to talk about this too much, but I think um, with that whole situation, it was a lot of things that weren't true that happened. Exactly. Um, I um, I think it was like a clickbait situation, to be quite honest. But yeah, when we were planning the show, when the you know when I was like, okay, it's time we're gonna do it, I wasn't really thinking like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be the first to do this. We're gonna right. be, it's gonna be a groundbreaking thing for me. It was just like I have a business, I have employees, I have to sustain my business. We need to make money. Yeah, and this is how we're gonna do it, and this is how we're gonna present it to the world. This is me also showing the world that I'm also really creative. I love technology. So, um, you know, when it when it happened and I started seeing like the headlines and the articles, it was like, I mean, in the feedback after the show, it was like a moment of silence with the team. It was just like, whoa, what yes. just happened? It was just like, oh, my gosh, like it was crazy. But, you know, it's cool. I'm, I mean, I'm extremely grateful, like being able to um, produce the first live you know, Instagram show and one of like the biggest platforms of our time. It's it's really cool. It's incredible. Um, I'm just grateful. Yeah, it was an exciting time. I remember uh, mm-hmm. just feeling the excitement. Even it was actually on Twitter and it wasn't on Instagram. Somebody, a former coworker <laughs> of mine, Angel Lenise. Hey, Angel. She was like, <laughs> she was like, a black woman just did that. And it was just like, a, it was just like a, some great, exciting buzz. So that was not expected. Did mm-hmm. the, the, the attention, did the traffic to the site, did the sales, was that immediate? Yeah, it was immediate. I even had people messaging me on the side. Um, DMing me, uh, texting me and like, Hey, I'm not finished watching the show, but I'm going to run to the website and order and then run back to the show. (laughs) So it was really, it was really cool. It was very, very, very cool. I was just like, wow. Yeah. But the sales, like, I mean, it was like immediate, like immediate, um, probably the best, the best month we've had since we've, I've started my company. Oh my gosh. Congrats. Is this something, the learnings from this? For instance, Rebecca Minkoff, she's known as a like a fashion tech, like a pioneer in the space. Will you continue to um, do maybe high tech fashion shows, like something innovative every season? Is there pressure to do so? Um, I think, you know, there is pressure because everyone's like, oh, my God, we can't wait for the next one. And I'm just <laughs> like, we're still like kind of um, 
coming down from the high from the first one. But um, I'm I've always been interested in technology. I love this stuff, so um, I am planning to do more things and um, maybe being more innovative in different ways, um, and also connecting. Uh, or moving into different sectors or different industries. But yeah, um, I do plan on doing more and yeah, just seeing where this takes us. Yes. Let's talk about that spike in demand in sales during the pandemic. While, you know, factories may not be working, would love to hear about the disruption in your supply chain and how, how you responded. Um, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it started, I was just like, okay, what are we going to do? I was like, I'm going to lose my business. We're going to have to shut down. Um, our state was in lockdown. So I'm just like, what the heck are we going to do? Um, and the tech, uh, the 3D technology allowed me to present my, my garments and my pieces without physically having them here. So I think with that alone, um, it really helped with, I guess you could say like the dis, um, the distribution, the supply chain, because everyone was shut down. The borders are closed. Um, our seamstresses aren't available. So many different things. So it allowed us to still design, still present, and then, you know, just kind of do like the whole pre-order um, thing and, and telling people like, look, you can order now, but you're not going to get it till this date. Yeah, it's just about transparency and yeah. exactly, exactly. That makes sense to me. So let's talk about uh, your road up till now. I know that there was kind of a start stop uh, in in the career path all the way back to 2012. Um, you did not go to traditional fashion school. What what mm -hmm. was the kind of start of it all? Honestly, I I mean, I knew I wanted to be a designer um, once I got to my junior year of high school, but. I ended up going to a school um, and studying the fashion merchandising program. And we all know that's not really design. So yeah. I ended up dropping out of school and um, quitting my job in retail. And I was just like, well, what the heck am I going to do? You know, um, at that time, it was like I was turning 21. You know, 21 is a big year. So I was planning a party with my friends and I didn't have anything to wear. So I made a dress. Um, I had some scraps of fabric and some trimmings. Um, and I put it on Instagram and it was kind of like history from there. So I started, um, teaching myself how to sew with custom orders. So friends and family would be like, Hey, can you make this for me? And then, it, um, it turned into strangers asking me to make them things. Um, and then, you know, on the back end side, I was like, Oh, I want to be like a designer designer. I want to have a company, um, and all of that stuff. And um, I launched my first collection in 20, 2012, yes. summer of 2012. Yeah, summer of 2012. And um, I just got to work with no, you know, blueprint on how to really do things. I was pretty much like winging it, trying to figure it out on my own, reading books, um, watching a bunch of YouTube videos, reading a lot of articles, just honestly trying to figure out how this works. Because um, yeah. I felt like I didn't have the resources. I live in Maryland, so Maryland's not really um, a fashion city. Um, so, right. Yeah, I just had to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you you started a website. You were, mm -hmm. you've, have you, you've been direct from day one. I'm sure yeah. retailers are, are coming knocking now. Um, but talk to me about, uh, yeah, doing it on your own. Looking back, ha would you have gone to, you know, a design school? What would maybe have uh, better prepared you, if anything? Um, I really am really grateful for my journey. Um, 
I think even from just like reading and and also studying other designers who are like who are like really successful, you know, there's like it's almost like there's like a narrow path of how to do things. And that's the path that I've been following for years. But um, I think I would if I was to do it differently, I would maybe study something more concentrated in school, like marketing or um Something else, but it wouldn't, yeah. it, I, it wouldn't be fashion design or fashion merchandising or anything like that. And I would also have a mentor that is, um, that knows what they're doing. That's very seasoned in business management. Um, and I think with business managing and financial management and all things like that, I struggled with early on. So I think if I had help in those areas, my path would have been a little, a little, bit more straight and (laughs) but um I had to learn and and I'm and I'm where I am today because of those mistakes and my journey yes I I think I read that you uh started the business tell me if this is right like off of a uh like a tax refund you were working Mm -hmm. in retail is has fundraising come into the mix is this something that you're eyeing now uh do you feel it's important to be kind of self-owned self-owned I think so because then you have full control of your company and um I think it's yeah I just I think it's better. I don't think I would have done it any other way. Um in terms of like funding, I've never really had investors, never took out a bunch of loans or anything like that. I really just did it with like a strategy of just like I had this whole I had the whole pre-order thing on like lock, so I would like um, kind of like what I told you earlier, you know, you know, have people purchase, let them know what the, uh, the ship date is. And then with that, I was able to flip the money and continue to flip and just invest it back into the business. And that's how I was able to grow and expand the way that we've had. Yes, that makes sense. Tell me about working, building a business in Maryland versus New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess. As someone told me, um, it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. Yes. Um, I've never lived in New York, but, you know, I, I have friends, um, family that lives there. And I think if I was in New York, it would have been harder, a lot harder. Um, there's so many things that, like, you have to do there, you know, not to even talk about, like, the rent there. You know, it would have been, I feel yeah. like it would have been a lot different. Um, I, my goals would have been different. Um, and I think being at home in Maryland, um, you know, it's a little more quieter. Uh, I spent uh, most of my, well, early on in my career, I lived at home with my parents. So yep. I didn't really have a lot of bills to pay. So I was really able to focus on myself and what I was doing. So I think that really helped a lot. Um, but yeah, I really, you know, I was able to like just concentrate and focus on what I was doing. And now rather than um, now that you have, you know, a stronger foundation, you're not eyeing New York. You're, am I correct? Washington, D.C. is next. Yeah, Washington, D.C. is next. I I feel like we don't really have, um, I I don't want to say a fashion culture, but it's not here. Like, when you think of fashion, you're not thinking of D.C. You're thinking of New York. You're thinking of maybe L.A. You're thinking of Paris and London and all these other places. But people don't really think about D.C. So I'm hoping that um, not alone, but with other creatives and individuals, we can create 
um, some type of fashion culture here um, so that we can have something to yeah. Are you seeing the same trend in your shopper? Like your shopper is maybe from cities that don't have, um, yeah, immediately accessible, like a higher fashion. Um, are they um, outside of L.A. and New York? Uh, yeah, we have. Honestly, we have shoppers everywhere. We have we have in, in on the continent of Africa. We have them in Europe. We have them in um, Middle East, like literally everywhere. It's It's insane. It's crazy. That is insane. How large is your team right now? Right now, it's only five people. That's amazing. How's that broken down? You, do you have somebody dedicated to social? How how much control do you feel that it's important to have? I guess as as the founder, as the the name namesake woman, um, are do you have your hands in everything? I do <laughs> because I started that way. Um, when you have a business and you're an entrepreneur, or whatever. Well, as for me, I thought you know. I can save a lot of money if I just do everything, but that quickly led to my downfall in 2015. But um, I've grown to learn that it's important to invest in people um, and also investing in the right people that see your vision the way that you see it. So um, the first person that I, I, I added onto my team, um, like an employee, was an operations manager and then customer service. And now I have an assistant and she's an executive assistant. So she handles a lot of different things in the business. And then we have our fulfillment, um, our fulfillment and operations center where all the orders are going in and out. So we have two, two people that work there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really not a big team, but we've been able to tackle and get a lot of things done. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit more about your business model? Size inclusivity is, is definitely a part of it. Um, extra, extra small. Is it still through 3x mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes and uh plans to expand so so what's your focus so i mean um the size inclusivity thing it's huge for me because i um when i started my brand i was a size zero two and then now i'm on the, like a 12 14 depending on the garment so i've been able to kind of uh, experience different things um when i'm shopping and you know some of the women that i work with um are also different sizes. We have a very petite person and we also have someone that's plus size. So it was really also important for me to make sure that they can also wear the brand as well. Um, And uh, so that's why we were able to expand and also making sure that, you know, a lot of times when uh, we, we see brands that carry plus size, the size small looks completely different from what the plus size looks like. So, I wanted to really make sure that, you know, uh, whoever's wearing a small, whoever's wearing a 3X, they both feel just as beautiful in the garments and it fits them really well. So um, that's really important to us. And also um, we're also working on launching our shapewear brand um, that's designed for black women, um, women of color, because it's really hard to find um, your shade and shapewear. And that was really the reason why. I decided to work on that and launch that soon. Amazing. So that will be in the next couple of months? Yeah. Okay, great. That's great. Tell me a little bit more about what um, kind of building on this momentum. I know that you recently teamed with um, a PR firm. Was that after mm-hmm. Was that after May? Was that necessary uh, due to the attention? Um, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, <clears throat> I've kind of had PR in the past and um, – we really wanted to have PR after the show because we were getting so many requests. I mean, like from like 
big to small. Like I'm talking about, so like our emails were flooded. Um, and, uh, I actually wanted to work with the Hinton group. I've been like uh, researching and following them for some time and, um, yeah, uh, we connected and, you know, we had a meeting and, um, I felt like that it was a perfect match and Nate is really great. And, um, I just wanted someone that's really experienced, um, and seasoned in this industry really well that can kind of align us, align my vision with the right brands, the right partnerships, um, the right connections. And um, also, I think um, the PR firm being a Black-owned firm was also really important to me as well. Yes. Is that going to be important in every move, whether you're teaming with an agency? Um, looking for, yeah, Black ownership, can, is that, will that be a trend? Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say a trend, but I do, I do plan to connect with more, um, black creatives. Um, but that it won't solely be that, but I do plan on, um, working with a lot of black creatives and black companies and things like that. Yes. What are you doing now for marketing? Is it all organic through Instagram? Um, are you paying for digital? What's going on there? No, it's all organic through Instagram and email marketing and uh, Twitter. Um, yeah, it's all organic marketing. I haven't paid a marketing firm since I started Anifa. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So your collections, obviously, you were going to show at Fashion Week. Um, mm -hmm. are, do you think that that seasonal calendar works? Do you have seasonal collections? And will that stick? I think um, a lot of independent designers, including myself, haven't really been using the calendar just because of, you know, the supply chain and how things work when you're funding your own company. Um, but I do, I mean, with the trends that we have been seeing since the pandemic, we have been seeing a lot of big fashion houses basically saying, hey, we're not doing this your way. We're going to do it our way. Um, but I think that's, I don't, I don't, I mean, the, the fashion calendar, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's really that important. I think it's I think it really should just depend on the brand and where they are and, and what they want to do. Yes. Obviously, Fashion Week, you'd have a huge stage or a lot of audience um, eyes on your show. Um, mm. I mean, you already did. But um, is that also um, in terms of physical retail um, expanding to maybe a wholesale retailer for brand alignment and for brand? Um, again, more eyes on the clothes. Is that is that in the future? It was, it was in the future, um, but I think I'm going to stick to my direct-to-consumer model um, and just continue to pay attention to how the world's moving um, and how the industry is changing. Okay, great. Uh, shapewear, swimwear, bridal wear, more, more of more categories. More categories. <laughs> yes. yes, and that means more hires. Or what else is necessary to kind of pull this all off? Um, definitely more hires. Um, we like, we're, we're a small team, so we would have to hire more people to be able to handle all this that's coming. Um, especially with, um, bridal, you know, that's a very, <laughs> I, I like to say it's very extreme. <laughs> um, because when I, when I used to, um, do customs, I used to do like, uh, wedding gowns and things like that, but, um, I would definitely have to expand and uh, with my team and just make sure that we can, um, handle the things that are, that are coming our way. Yes. How would you describe kind of your voice, the voice of the brand kind of consistency as you kind of. Um, yeah, get more attention and build a larger audience to kind of keep them, build that community. Um, 
how how are you connecting with them and what what's important? Um, I think I talk a lot about how I've always felt like an outsider um, and not really knowing how, I guess, I as I've been building this company, trying to find my voice and my brand. And I think, you know, um, a lot of times we limit ourselves um, and we're like, well, I want to do this, but I can't do it. Or, you know, um, a lot of times I'm like, oh, I'm a black woman. And I feel like I can't do certain things because I'm a black woman or I don't have the resources because I'm a black woman. But um, I think just, you know, uh, what we say um, in Hanifa is uh, we design for women without limits. So I think just being a black designer, being a woman and coming into this industry, um, figuring things out on my own. And then also being able to have the impact that we've had with the 3D show, which allowed us to also be in a different, a completely different industry. Um, and I think that speaks, it speaks in so many different ways. And I think it, it speaks to a lot of different people. Um, a lot of my customers, a lot of people that have been supporting Hanifa, has wa- they have been watching me from the beginning. Like they've seen the dress that I posted on Instagram eight years ago. And they're like, wow, she's been able to do this. Um, she's been able to share her story along the way. Um, and she didn't have really, you know, she didn't have the resources. She didn't really have the support from the fashion industry from the beginning. And I think, um, that alone, you know, that's my voice and that's my story. And I want to continue to share that and just kind of encourage people out there and encourage women that you can do it. You can do it. Um, yeah. Have the dream, have the vision, and just keep pushing. Yeah. And be persistent. I love it. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, um, from 2012 to 2015, uh, you had a business, restarted mm-hmm. it in 2016. Uh, was that just the mindset going in? Like, I'm not going to let something stop me. This, this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I mean, I was like, because I'm also a believer, I'm a Christian, and um, I was just going through like a soul searching moment. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if this is like a part of my journey, my path. But um, uh, 2016 came and I was just like, look, I'm about to jump in. I'm going to do this and I'm never going to look back. (laughs) And that was my moment. Um, I came back and I never I mean, I've been running since since 2016 with no stopping. So that was a a really, really important time and moment for me. yeah, and this journey, it's crazy. Even thinking back. <laughs> thinking back like two years. I mean, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thinking back like, wow, I can't believe I tried to quit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. How crucial um, or how important. It's been great. You've had a lot of attention lately. Um, I know yeah. you were part of Beyonce's Black Parade, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yes. What's been, I guess, um, beyond your own show, um, what's worked best, I guess, to... Um, to spread the word and to build on that momentum um, beyond what you're doing? I think word of mouth really has been like my biggest, I, I don't know. I was just say word of mouth and, and to be honest, Instagram and word of mouth. Um, well, I, I really, early on, I really, um, I started to understand how Instagram worked. I really started to under, understand how important visuals are um, when you have a brand because your customer it's going to see, I mean, in this time and age, um, your customer is going to see your product online first or, 
you know, they're going to see it first online, especially with mine, before they actually see the physical garment. So it was really important for me to make sure like my visuals were on point all the time. Um, and and then I would start seeing them like retweeted or reposted. And, you know, it was so many different things. But I think word of mouth and Instagram has been like my biggest tools. So Instagram's where it, where it's at. Is TikTok in the equation? Any other any other platforms that are working? Um, Twitter is great. Um, Twitter yeah. is great for viral moments. Um, TikTok, we haven't tapped into TikTok yet, but we're we're trying to get into that. Um, and just trying to see how how you know another way that we can, um, you know, get the word out. You know, share the work and things like that. Yes. Final uh, word of advice for emerging designers that have experienced your 2012 to 2015 moment. Uh, What's the advice? Um, Have a vision, um, write it down. And if you can get a mentor, that would be great. But I say write it down and have a vision because, you know, like myself, those moments where, you know, you want to quit because they're going to be there. They they come pretty often. Um, And having something that you can constantly look at or be reminded of where you started and and why you started, I think it's really important. Um, And I think it's always important to have that somewhere where you can just be like, okay, look, I'm having a bad day, but let me go back and read my journal. Let me go back and read my notes. And, you know, it really helps. It really helps along the way. So that's my advice. Are you mentoring anybody right now? I would think you'd be in demand. (laughs) I I am. So I actually have an initiative that I started for emerging designers where I help them manufacture, I help them sample, I give them advice, and I also have a mentorship program. Um, But I have two mentees currently that I'm working with, and they're launching their brands, um, one this fall and the other one next year. Exciting. And you're not going to, final question, you're not going to raise your prices, right? (laughs) Well, I'm not going to raise my prices, but if the quality changes or if, you know, if things change or increases or whatever, then we'll probably have to adjust. But no, I don't think so. I do want it to be affordable. Um, and I also want it to be luxury at the same time. Definitely. I love it. Thank you so much, Anifa. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.